times lately Who's to say we're upside down? Who's to say we're falling if we miss the ground? Who's to say we're going nowhere if we like spinning around and round? Welcome to Ace Space, the podcast about being ace and loving space, brought to you by the Toshi Station Network. I'm Shoshana. And I'm Nick. Thank you for tuning in to hear us talk. Um, as you may have noticed in that intro there, Saf is not in this episode, and that is because due to some unfortunate uh, circumstances, uh, she, was, uh, she was able, or, wow, she had to cut her activity load a bit, um, so Saf is no longer uh, able to continue on with Ace Face, but Fortunately, we now have Nick. Hi, I'm so, Nick. So, hooray! Nick is awesome. And Saf left a um, nice little message on Twitter that we will link to in the show notes for you to read. So, feel free to check that out if you want to read um, her, you know little message about that so nick hello you exist i do i do so my name is nicole i go by nick i'm 28 years old i live in los angeles i have been a star wars fan since i was 14 and before that i kind of dabbled in you know, kind of like old school sci-fi horror, like um, Planet of the Apes. I was really big into Nightmare on Elm Street for a while. And so that and a bunch, and mostly like 80s horror movies were kind of like my first fandom, I guess you could say. So then I went, you know, moved into Star Wars and then moved into other fantasy sci-fi franchises. So I have identified as ace for about two years now. Beforehand, when I was growing up, I, um, or sorry, to be more specific, I identify as queer, but I realized that I'm on the ace spectrum. It was about two years ago. And since then, I've also been, I'm still trying to figure out if I am aromantic or romantic or something in the middle. So that's one part that I'm not ready to give a label to or anything yet. But, um, the eternal struggle. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, so much fun with that. yeah, it's the best. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to be here. I'm yeah. Ready to talk about being ace and in space, which is where we live. We do. Mm-hmm. We all live in space. Yeah. All of us. Mm-hmm. Even if we don't think about it a lot. Yeah, even the straights live in space. It's okay. It's okay. Mm-hmm. That is where the planet Earth is located. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, show, should we get on to some talking about an event at Star Wars Celebration Orlando? Indeed, we shall. So, if you are going to be in the Orlando area around the time of Star Wars Celebration this year, 
or if you're going to be attending Star Wars Celebration, in which case you should totally come and say hi to us because we'll both be there. Um, there will be an event called Drow- the Drowning in Moonlight Gala. Um, it is, well, it's something that Nick will start us off describing. Okay. So basically, it's going to be, you know, everything Carrie would want in a memorial. You know, drunken antics and glitter and raffles. So it's a memorial benefit in honor of Carrie, who passed Carrie away. Carrie Fisher, to be more specific. <laughs> yes, Carrie Fisher, not just some random Carrie, um, who passed away this past December. And it's in service of the Midnight Mission, a cause that was really close to Miss Fisher's heart. Midnight Mission, by the way, is um, located here in Los Angeles where I live, and I know firsthand they do so much good for the community. The gala is tentatively scheduled to be held on Thursday the 13th of April 2017 in Orlando, Florida, in concert with the Star Wars Celebration Orlando. The event is going to feature an ever-growing list of prominent celebration personalities, sponsors, and fan sites, including Full of Sith, Jedi News, Star Wars Report, and more. Drawing in Moonlight will be a dress up or dress up gala. It'll be black tie optional and cosplay encouraged. So if you wanna if you wanna dress up black tie, feel free. If you wanna cosplay, that's awesome. If you don't want to or can't do either, then it's fine. Uh, the night's activities will feature music and dancing, door prizes, a guest book for fans to express their condolences, which will be forwarded to Carrie's family after the gala, event-specific merchandise, um, like patches, staging cups, etc., available for purchase with proceeds benefiting the charity, souvenir photos on an event-exclusive backdrop, food and Carrie-themed drink menu, including alcoholic and non-alcoholic offerings, and a silent auction featuring nerdy and literary goods from Star Wars and beyond. The marquee event of the night will be a live-on-stage, multi-network, unified podcast in Carrie's honor. Podcasters from all of the networks will be in- involved will be invited onto the stage to take part in this unprecedented collaborative recording party. The production, which will feature voices from around the Star Wars podcasting pantheon, will include will include questions from the audience and likely some measure of Rogue Squadron-style hijinks. Heck yeah. Drowning in Moonlight aims to celebrate Carrie in a way that honors her memory, does good in her name, and pays homage to her unrivaled sass. You can now purchase tickets for the event at Eventbrite. Um... And if you Google Drowning in Moonlight Memorial Gala, then you should be able to find it. But we'll also put a link in the show notes for that. And there's also a, um, words are hard. There's also a Twitter feed or Twitter account for the event itself now, which I believe is run by Amanda. Mm-hmm. Amanda and Brian and Nancy are all amazing. They are the three people who are responsible for this event. And we love them. And we love all the hard work they've poured into this. Because for no reason other than they love Carrie. And they understand that 
you know, this is an event where we're all just kind of, we're going to have fun, but it's also going to be like, you know, some underlying sadness. And what better place to be sad than at Disney World, basically, you know? I mean, not at Disney World, but you know what I mean. Orlando, it's all the same. Yes, because it's, it's pretty impossible to not notice the um, the lack of Carrie Fisher at Star Wars Celebration. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. gonna, nice. you know, going to have a memorial trying to help a good cause. Mm-hmm. And I apologize for the growling you may be hearing. It's my dog, Ellie. She's very upset that she can't come to the gala. So she's expressing her anger, and we're just going to have to be accepting of that for right now. Indeed. You can always buy her a little outfit so she can pretend she's at the gala. Yeah. I think when she's at boarding that week, I'm going to have, I'm going to pack her Ewok sweater. Excellent plan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm really jealous that your dog has an Ewok sweater. I am too. Trust me. My, my cats don't have Ewok sweaters, and if they did, I don't think they'd wear them. Mm-hmm. She hates the cold because she's, you know, she's from Jakku, so. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that would do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. All right. Mm-hmm. So, we have a main topic this week. Yay! And that is when romance gets in the way of story and characters, because romance is freaking everywhere. Mm-hmm. It really is. So, Which, mm-hmm. honestly, can add to that beautiful confusion about, you know, uh, whether or not one is on the aromantic spectrum, and if so, where. Mm-hmm. And if... Mm-hmm. And if one is, does that make them normal or is there something emotionally wrong with you or, you know, the million other questions that may run through your head? It's, yeah, it's, it's just so ingrained in mm-hmm. society and stories, how we're, yeah. we're taught we're supposed to be, mm-hmm. how we're taught we're supposed to grow up, that it's never even, like, question in any of those things it's just kind of there to assume mm-hmm. so but it's just assumed it'll be a part of a happy fulfilled life so i think what we'll do is we're gonna start with a dm we got from shannon joy 26 on twitter here's what she wrote a couple weeks back the subject of jen and cassian being romantic or not came up on twitter i was saying How glad I was that while they may have wanted us to see it as romantic, they didn't actually kiss at the end, so I could continue seeing it as a close platonic bond. Just wondering if you guys have any opinions on that part of Rogue One. And we do. Sho, do you want to start us off? Well, yes. Yes, I do. Yay. So, um, I definitely noticed that when I saw Rogue One. Um... Like, after a certain point, they definitely kind of, uh, throw in the cues that there's supposed to be a romantic feelings growing between them. Like, meaningful looks and all that thing, and I thought the actors had that great chemistry about it, but it seems, but the, ro- the romance existing at all seemed forced to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it felt like they definitely were implying that, especially 
Okay, never mind the thing I was about to say because it's spoilery. But <laughs> okay, it's it's January twenty fifth at the time of this recording. I think you can go ahead. Okay, well the last uh, the last scene with them seems very, very, very heavily hinting romantic feelings. So it seemed pretty clear to me, but it also felt forced despite them having good chemistry. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. like. It just felt like it came out of nowhere. Like, it was like, well, it's written in here, might as well do a good job with it. But, I no, I felt like they were definitely trying to have that be in there. And you can, you can watch that. I do see how you, you can watch that and not read romance in there. But for me, it's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. With the way that they did that. Okay. I think in part just because there's like such a big push on the importance of romantic relationships over other relationships. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Oh. So, okay, I kind of, I see it two ways. Um, first, like, my primary reaction is to just be thrilled that they didn't go with the kiss because I'm, I, I have a lot of mixed feelings on Jin and Cassian's relationship. I think that if it was, I think that platonically it's great. I really like seeing Cassian's um, character develop, you know, from, you know, First of all, I mean, he's a mercenary in the rebellion, and that's something we've really never seen before, especially not on a film. And that's just, you know, amazing to see from him going from, like, you know, he's going based on his orders and everything, and then Jin's really the one who really, you know, changes what he believes or changes, you know, um, his perspective on what's right and what's wrong. And hence they go rogue together, you know? And so, I mean, I think that itself is such a powerful connection between the two of them. That I think, sorry, my, sorry, it's Ellie again. She's playing with an elf with me because she's really excited about Jin. Jin is her favorite Star Wars character. So, back to Cassian and Jin, though. I think the hug at, I think the hug at the end was perfect because... I mean, if I was in that situation, if I was about to get blown up on a beach and I was with someone, like a friend I was really close with, yeah, I'd, I'd want to hug them as I die. Like, yeah, it's comforting, you know? So I'm really glad they didn't go with the kiss. But on the other hand, the problem I have with them not being romantic is... Sorry. Give me Hi, Ellie. Ellie? Yeah, good girl. Stay there. Stay there. All right. Thanks, everyone, for your patience with this dog that I'm sure is going <sighs> to... Okay, I'm going to lock her out. Give me two seconds. Show. Hello? Hi. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Anyway. So Ellie. Mm-hmm. Space dog. Mm-hmm. From Jakku. Okay. 
I'm going to need 30 seconds. Yep. So, Allie. Yes. So, because I am not psychic, as far as you know, I do not know what Nick's next words are going to be. But I do know that one thing That's that probably mentioned is, oh, hello. What's that? What are you going to mention, dear? Um, that one of the things that I, I've seen talked about on Twitter is the fact that they are, that it's, you know, they are not of the same ethnicity. Yes. In Caspian. And so, um, a lot of times in media, when there is a romantic relationship portrayed between a man and a woman of different races, it's uh, read as platonic by a lot of people. Or they start saying, oh, it would be so much better if it was platonic. Or like, gosh darn it, they were just kissing to be friendly. <laughs> what a cute platonic relationship. So... On that, you know, in that way, that is an important thing to acknowledge that that is a pattern. Um, and as much as I would like for there to be, you know, a main female character and a main male character who do not fall in love, um, if they're going to do that, I kind of wish that they would go a little bit farther than hinting at it. Right. So, show, I have excellent news. Guess what? What? You are psychic. Because that was that was exactly what I wanted to talk about. Was how, yeah, yeah. How, like, you know, on the other hand, if they're platonic, then this is the second Star Wars movie in a row where we have a white female row and a, you know, male protagonist who's a man of color who are, you know being told, oh, no, it's just, they're just friends. There's no romance yeah, going on, yeah. right? Because, I mean, I mean, I guess, Although, like, yeah. they, they, you know, even though Finn totally likes her, they're mm -hmm. BFFs. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's like, you know, it's, I mean, it'd be great for ace representation, but, you know, in a movie like this, I'm, I'm totally fine with it not going that way. You know, and, you know, I think it's more important to, you know, really show representation of interracial romantic relationships that aren't just a guy and a girl being friends. Yeah, and that was another thing. Like, it was, for me, I don't, something about the way they set it up felt weirdly forced, again. Mm -hmm. um, I think in part because it's just, I don't know, the circumstances or something, but if they did, if it was built up more, I'd probably, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't really know how to express this. Or it could just be, you know, horrific bias that I don't want, that I, you know, would like to avoid examining, but must do so at some point. Mm -hmm. I just think it's, I just think it's bizarre that with everything they go through in the movie to think that they would be in the right frame of mind to be like, Oh, okay. Romance. Right. We forgot to do that. Let's, let's kiss. 
So like, I, I totally agree that, yeah, it was, it should have been built up more if that's what they wanted to go with. Yeah. Just kind of after a certain point, they start having meaningful looks. And it's like, mm-hmm. what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. It's like someone wrote a note. Oh, yeah, I guess there should be a romance or something. <laughs> um, And I don't know why they went, like, of course, if they did write that note, there was clearly already a romance going on with uh, Baze and Shirit. Mm-hmm. Right. Their love story must be told. Indeed. Indeed. So, yeah, mixed feelings both ways. Yeah. Ultimately, I'm happy it's ambiguous. I think, like, yeah. if I, you know, if I had to have a clear final opinion. Yeah, I, um, I wish it wasn't ambiguous. I wish it was mm-hmm. either unambiguously platonic or unambiguously romantic because. Mm-hmm. I have already talked about why. (laughs) And that totally makes sense. Yeah. That's totally good. Okay. So our next discussion on romance getting in the way of stories and or characters. Another Star Wars one because we are nerds. It's Gina. Gina, why? So, a little context for the listeners who aren't, you know, on a Star Wars podcasting network. Um, In the Legends universe, as it is now known, of Star Wars books, um, which is the expanded universe that was before Disney restarted it, Han and Leia have three children, one of whom is Jaina Solo. And then things get weird. Yes. So, <laughs> so the shipping wars. So the shipping wars had to do with whether Jaina should end up with Zek, who was her childhood friend and a fellow Jedi, or Jag Fell, who was I guess I loved I loved someone describing them as her middle school boyfriend and high school boyfriend. So <laughs> yeah. That fits so well. Um, So Jag was the um, high school boyfriend and eventually the man she ended up with. And this was the thing we have to remember is going back in history. This was all like 2000. All this drama started like 2006, 2007, which was also the time when these books called Twilight were being published. And those, you know, again, had a rom- had a romantic triangle in them. So it wasn't surprising to see that being carried over into Star Wars. But with these characters and this universe. It, oh, my it, God. With Jaina, of all people. Yeah, it wasn't the best fit, you know. So it can. Yeah, sorry. It oh, lost, a, a, mm-hmm. a little more context here. Um so there was a massive war going on in the Star Wars universe, and Jane was a little bit in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. She and was. so was Jag a little bit, but Jane was like super awesomest, bestest pilot ever. Um, and I'm not saying that in a way that says that's anything that wrong with it, because Jane was freaking awesome. 
Um, and she was also a Jedi and uh, good with mechanics, which in the books it said that she got from her dad, but Meh. you know, looking at looking at looking at Han's uh, mechanical. It's like is that is that really a compliment? Yeah, I'm thinking I'm thinking more of the grandpa. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. To me, Jaina always represented a free spirit. Like a woman who put herself put herself first, but all without failing to look at the people around her. I'm going to pull up I'm going to pull up Luke's Sword of the Jedi speech. Give me one moment, please. And I think it's something that just really, I mean, you know, this was something that Luke sent to Jaina during New Jedi Order, which took place when Jaina was between 15 to 19. And for me, anything that, um, gosh, what's the word? They're so hard words. Anything that contradicts this is something that makes Jaina's characterization untrue. So Luke's speech is, I name you the Sword of the Jedi. You are like tempered steel, purposeful and razor keen. Always you shall be in the front rank, a burning brand to your enemies, a a brilliant fire to your friends. Yours is a restless life and never shall you know peace though you shall be blessed for the peace that you bring to others. Take comfort in the fact that, though you stand tall and alone, others often take shelter in the shadow that you cast. So basically, Jaina, she was pretty much the best ever. And, you know, she had this whole other destiny that had to do with, you know, leading leading the Jedi on Coruscant after Jason went evil and everything like that. But, you know, she's she's kind of, you know, got stuff to do, stuff that's more important than, you know, deal with two boys who are obsessed with her. Sorry, Ellie's sending me a message back from Jakku. We're going to ignore her. But, okay. yeah. She's really upset about the situation, you guys. Mm-hmm. Extremely. But, yeah, no, for me, even hearing about the shipping war was just... Because I had stopped reading um, Jedi Order, which was the particular book series that this was all happening with, uh, or that this all started with, I should say, um, about halfway through, Mm -hmm. um, for reasons I'm not going to get into, because then I will never stop talking about it. (laughs) Right? That's kind of me right now. I'm like, how much do I really want? To get but, into that, um, but um, I was, uh, but I have all the Young Jedi Knights books, which are about like Jaina and her twin brother Jason and their friends, including Zach, the middle school boyfriend, mm-hmm. um, from when they were fourteen to. I always interpreted it as being from fourteen to sixteen. I've read some things that are like, yeah, this all happens within a few weeks. And I'm just like, <laughs> um, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's a terrible few weeks. <laughs> Poor Timo Cop. Oh my god. <laughs> um, so I was read it as being until about six months before New Jedi Order started. 
mm-hmm. which added to my confusion with the characterization of the Jedi Order. But anyway, um, Jaina and Jason both have uh, sort of romantic relationships going on throughout those books, but they're like very backgroundy, I guess. Not backgroundy, but they're like not a big deal about it. Mm-hmm. Like, Jaina and Zek obviously like each other, but that's never a central plot. There's just like they it's have just things there, to get done. Hmm? They have stuff to get done. Yeah, and like, um, Tenelbot and Jason absolutely like each other, but again, that's not like a a major thing. They don't talk a lot about like meaningful looks or anything or things like that. They do have a lot of like these two are very obviously close, and at one point, Tenelbot totally kisses Jason, but it's just like. It's very nonchalant about it. It's never pushed to the uh, forefront and it never feels like it's forced in there and getting in the way of the story. Um, but having shipping wars in Star Wars, first off, kind of makes me want to laugh because, wow, why is that Luke the one dealing with that? Um, other than that they killed off all the competition. Um, Mm-hmm. And I mean, Marge is pretty awesome, but Luke had so many love interests. Uh, it's just, after a certain point, it just kind of became the thing that people talked about involving Gina. Mm-hmm. What added insult to injury for me was that at the same time, the Legacy comic series was taking place, and there was a fell dynasty that was force sensitive. And this took place like, I think it was a hundred, something like 120 years after. Um, okay. I thought. Okay. Maybe my brain's making that up. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. I think the date was supposed to be based on Return of the Jedi. But anyway. Wait, maybe it is a hundred. Oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm very tired right now. <laughs> Guys, forgive me. Oh, good. Like, I know it was supposed to be at least four generations after New Jedi Order. And suddenly, the Fell Dynasty was Force-sensitive. So, you know, we were 99% sure this means that Jaina and Jag got together and had children. And, and the, um, the princess looks a lot like Jaina. And, oh, her name is Mara Saya. I wonder what inspired that name. Yeah. So with that, that just, it was just so pointless. It's like, well, we know they get together. Why is this still a plot point? But Oh, yeah, you were right. It was it was 100 years. My brain made okay. up the number 300 for some reason. Okay. But it was 100, it was 100 years after the, after the shipping wars were set. Okay. I think it would have been a lot more interesting so, if it was 300. after A New Hope. Okay. So... Those are, you know, that's a summary of my Jaina feelings right there. Just, yeah, it was just so front and center. It kind of swallowed every other discussion of her. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently it did that a little bit with the writer's table, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was. I know the writers, there were, um, 
there was a back and forth between Alston and Denning about who she should ultimately end up with. And the thing was, from book to book, you could definitely tell that this was, you know, an argument that was kind of being pulled into the universe a little inappropriately. So that... And also, mm-hmm. for some reason, Denning seemed to think that um, if she ended up with... Uh, that who she ended up with would determine what she would do with her life and thus whether or not he could write about her. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that was weird. Yeah. Anyway, that is. That is it. the reason all Jaina fans are in therapy these days and we drink a lot too. So. Of blue milk. Yes, blue yes. Milk. For our healthy bones so we can be. Big and strong like our hero, Jaina. Don't fire me, Brian and Nancy. Mm-hmm. Um, another example, um, wrote in the show notes, Legend of Mako. Mako. So, season two of Legend of Korra, you guys. That's what I like to call the Legend of Mako because... Large portion of it has nothing to do with Korra, or, well, tangentially has to do with Korra, but it's mostly about Mako. And I like Mako, but he's a little self-involved, and um, he's kind of got this whole love triangle thing going on, mm-hmm. in part because he's, he's got you know, a... I was going to say, like, you know, he's got some issues that make him very sympathetic, I feel. But... Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's true. No, I, I, I like Mako, mm-hmm. but, you know, mm-hmm. like, some of the things they did with this with this love triangle made him less sympathetic for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. Do you want to go um, into the amnesia thing of Korra? Yeah, so, okay, a little bit more detail. Mako's chorus friend, he plays on the same fantasy magical sports team that she does. Uh, He is a firebender, which means that he bends fire, as you may have guessed. Um, Korra is the avatar. We all love her. She bends all of the elements. Um... And Asami is the third point of the love triangle. Um, so, season one, I think it was the, the end of the season premiere. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to get a little bit into character spoilers with this, you guys, but... We'll try to keep it light. End of the season premiere. Um, Korra has met Mako and his brother Fulin, joined their magical fantasy sports team. Other stuff has happened, but this is what we're talking about right now. And at one point they have a scene where like Mako's looking up at the moon right in the distance, and Korra's looking into the distance, and um, with a smile on her face. And I distinctly remember thinking when I first saw this, Man, you know, she's totally just thinking about magical fantasy sports. How awesome they are. <laughs> ha ha, not romance. 
Um, spoilers. She was thought he was totally thinking about Mako. Because of course she was. So they did like this super embarrassed, slightly forced feeling um love triangle in season one that seemed like it got concluded and then season two they're like, Hey, what if after like what if Cora disappeared and got amnesia and totally forgot that she and Mako had broke up broken up so that while she's disappeared, Mako can start dating dating Asami again because they were dating for a bit in season one. Um and then she can come back and then confuse things. And it's like this became It was pretty a, sketchy. It was a it made me want to punch Mako, first of all. Um, because of his reaction to Cora suddenly showing up and forgetting that they had broken up and uh, because she had amnesia. Um, while he was already dating Asami is to, you know, go along with it and be like, yeah, we're totally still together. Wink. Um, so yeah, I wanted to punch Mako. And it also just kind of like took over season two. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a big chunk of it. So, kind of diverted a lot of... If they'd been studying... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, it, it, it derailed, like, all three of the characters for me. Mm-hmm. Same. I feel like if they were setting up Mako to be a villain, it would have been perfect. But instead, it was supposed to be like, oh, this is what teenagers do. No, no. This is not what teenagers do, or at least the healthy ones. It's not what it they was, do. I'm literally wagging my finger at my laptop as I say this. Yeah, it was very kind of melodramatic in the way it was. It was just kind of like, really? Is this? Mm-hmm. I mean, for all I know, this is like totally a normal thing, but I feel like that's not actually true. Mm-hmm. Um like it all, like the, you know, after season two, it's all fine. The love triangle goes away. Um, they all have happy endings. Um, you should watch Legends of Korra. It's really great. Live through season two. <laughs> that was very frustrating, also. And also, like, it kind of. So because of the sort of forced tension in there, in seasons one and two, Asami and Korra's relationship is rather strained. And as you can tell from uh, later, like... I just came so close to blurting out a spoiler. Be really thankful I didn't, please. You guys, you should totally watch Legend of Korra. Mm -hmm. It's great. But, um... Yeah, like, Mako and Korra are, the writers figured out that they're a lot better as friends. Um, And Mako and Asami are also a lot better as friends. And I'm thankful that the writers figured this out. And, Mm -hmm. like, the relationship as friends is very important, but this love triangle just kind of overshadowed everything with that. Um, Kind of also with, like, Bolin's love struggles in season two. Mm-hmm. was rather overshadowy, but um, 
in kind of a less derailing the entire plot sort of way. Mm-hmm. It was just boring. Bolin stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess. Well, well, some and some of it maybe kind of want to slap some sense of Bolin, too. But, mm-hmm. um, anyway... The Hunger Games. Team Peta versus Team Gale. Hey! AKA Team. We don't actually know much about this series. Mm-hmm. So, in The Hunger Games, the, the advertising for the film series really played up who Katniss was going to choose. And kind of, again, going back to the ladies we've been discussing, like... Cora, and I'm also going to include Asami because, you know, yeah, Jaina and Jen, it's like, come on, these ladies, they, if they're going to have a romantic relationship, it's going to be on their terms. It's not going to be based on, you know, the results of two men fighting over her. But that's kind of what we were made to believe with the advertising for the Hunger Games film starring Jennifer Lawrence as Katniss Everdeen. Yeah, there was just fortunately the um the films themselves and the books did not do this. Mm-hmm. And like especially if you read the book, she's clearly just like, Yeah, whatever, I don't I don't really care, Gail, go away. What <laughs> <laughs> can we can we please go back to hunting? So she clearly does greatly value her uh the this close platonic relationships she has, but like kind of funny like the advertising is almost like with the capitals um obsession with her romantic relationships mm-hmm. it was just this huge push for do you think she'll end up with Peta or gail which do you think who do you think would be better for her and like again it was just it was very refreshing that in the book she was just like sure whatever i guess mm-hmm. Well, I would even have to say she wasn't sure whatever. I think that, you know, she was very adamant that, you know, romance was at the very bottom tire of what she wanted, of, like, what, you know, her, um, of what her... No, I mean, like, the, the sure whatever about how she had to, like, play up her... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. like, sure, I'll totally pretend that I'm super into mm-hmm. him, but yeah. mm-hmm. really, I'm, I just, I'm just doing this because I'm extremely calculating and know this is how I'll survive. Yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> but, like, yeah, the advertising for that, they really did have, like, the Team Peta and Team Gale thing, which, again pulled back into the whole Twilight mm-hmm. dynamic of Team Jacob and Team Sparkle Pants. Like, you can um, sell books to teen girls without making it Twilight. And, you know, for all Twilight's flaws, it got so many young girls into reading, which is awesome. But they're not the only books that young girls love, you know? So why use the same formula over and over what are you talking about? I didn't know how to read a word until Twilight came out. <laughs> then you learned words like glitter and sparkle. Right? This is the skin of a killer. Mm-hmm. I was thinking today about Jacob and the robot baby and how it happened. 
Yeah, I haven't like read any of the books or seen any of the movies. I've just kind of absorbed all this knowledge. That's why. And also, the soundtracks are pretty awesome. Actually, that's why you're such a beautiful soul because you haven't been tainted. I mean, I I mean, I mean, (laughs) no, I mean, full disclosure. Yeah, Twilight. You know, it's the book series. It's out there. People love it, and good. I'm glad. I'm glad people love things. I'm very glad. But going back to Katniss, can we talk about spoilers? Sure. What's, what's your Hunger Games? Okay. We certainly can. Okay, this is your spoiler warning. So, I think the ending of book three is so tragic, yet so beautifully written. Because in it, you know, throughout the whole series, Katniss is. Her inner monologue is about how she doesn't want a husband and children because of this terrible world she lives in. And yet she ends up married with two children. And she has extreme symptoms of severe PTSD by the time the book series concludes. She's having nightmares about what happened. She's, um, you know, she has her coping skills, but they're becoming really super obsessive like going over the list of every kind thing, every kind act she's witnessed. I believe that's what it was. And it just gets really, it's such a dark ending. And I mean, I just, I have to question, like would Katniss's symptoms still be so severe if she had remained single, if she hadn't had children the way she, you know, always thought she wouldn't. I mean, I know that, you know, for young adult novels, that's such a standby for the potential of sequels and everything, having the main characters get married and have a family. But as a Katniss fan, I just have to wonder what would her life have been like if she had, you know, if she hadn't taken, you know, a traditionally romantic path in life. Meanwhile, with the movie... (laughs) The last scene actually made me crack up because it felt like a very um, fluffy AU fanfic ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, with, oh, everything's happy. Let me tell you this lovely story. And I'm just kind of like, what? Yeah, I felt what? It This felt is like super. after, you know, a certain point because they make it clear she doesn't have an ideal life. But mm-hmm. I just kind of feel like they should have. It would have been very strong ending if they just ended it when she let go of the bowstring when she was hunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I agree. But anyway, yeah, that was just kind of. But yeah, YA, this is definitely a a thing. Um, I even read a. Um, I kind of went off on a little Twitter rant um, a few weeks ago when I saw, when I, I was reading an article on a blog that focused on uh, queer YA, and you know it was pretty good piece until it got, and then it got to this point where it said that um, you can't have young adult fiction without sexuality without like kind of hinting you can't have it without like discussing romance and all this stuff and it's like can't you Mm -hmm. like is every other aspect of 
growing up really less legitimate than sexuality or romance like totally and even when it's you know when even when it is a big part of you know some teenagers lives is it I mean does it really have the effects that the authors are saying the kind of push for I don't know. I think, Charlotte, like, I think you're really, you're totally, I totally agree with you is where I'm going. Yeah. And I, and I really like a lot of books that have um, romance in them or books where even romance is the main thing in them. I enjoy quite a few uh, YA novels with a lot of romance in it. Like last time, I believe, is when I talked about the book, um, Gosh, my, my brain's not working very well. The Book of Fire and Stars. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it's called. Let me see here. Um, but yeah, that's absolutely a book in which romance is one of, if not the central focus. Um, but... Like in that book, for example, too, um, the one of the main characters has a very close friend who she was once at one point romantically involved with, but it didn't work out for either of them. So then they were just close friends. And it's very clear that her close relationship with him was is extremely important. So it's not... It's not completely brushed away because um, because of her romantic interest in this other character and because of her romantic relationship with her. It's they don't ignore the importance of the platonic relationship there, mm-hmm. but some things just really, really do. Um, it's just it's very frustrating and it can it can feel very alienating and also it just doesn't seem very healthy um. right yeah that's like that's the thing for me too it's YA romances just have the potential to get unhealthy so quickly and that can really have unfortunate real life um consequences you know especially when you have young people of any gender looking at these characters and thinking, well, you know, I, they acted this way and that's kind of how I want to act. So I'm going to behave in this manner. And, you know, they, there can be justification in it in the media around them. Yeah. Or if you can't, um, it's like, sometimes you'll point out things in a piece of media and someone will defend it by like going into particulars of it and it's yes and that's exactly what people in unhealthy situations do with their situations to say no see it's fine because look at these particulars that don't actually change anything Mm -hmm. that's a huge problem Mm -hmm. but also just like only having romance portrayed as the portrayed as 
a meaningful relationship that will, you know, mm -hmm. last. It's just not yeah. good for anyone. Especially if you're, you know, aromantic from the aromantic spectrum or think you might be and thus question everything you have ever experienced. But mm -hmm. especially with like the some of the examples we were talking about, like especially Jaina and Katniss, who I think the most important relationships in their lives are their siblings. And that doesn't. Oh, poor Jaina. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Poor Jaina. Oh, God. Indeed. And poor Katniss, oh God, indeed. And you know, that's, it's so, it shapes their, their siblings shape their character so much. And, you know, even their friends too. And it, you know, I think that's the per, they're kind of like a perfect example of how romance doesn't have to define them. Yeah, that's another good um, thing right there is that Katniss's relationship with Prim isn't, uh, dismissed or overshadowed mm -hmm. by yeah. her romantic, you know, the romantic shenanigans going on. Um, and even just saying romantic shenanigans, I kind of want to laugh in Gail's face. But, oh, poor Gail. <laughs> he wishes there were romantic shenanigans going on. Um, but, yeah, like her relationship with Prim and her relationship with Rue, who was not her sibling, but it was still like a, a strong platonic relationship. Um, but yeah, so that's a, you know, despite the advertising when the first movie came out, that was a good example of... Um, you know, why a series in which romance doesn't overshadow everything else. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's having that sort of attitude for romance is the most important thing. It's just. Uh, I think it's unrealistic, you know, even for people who do have sexual or romantic attraction. Yeah, like, you get people who um, expect that if only they can find the right person, um, the right romantic partner, then they'll be happy. And, oh, wow, they're having a, wow, they, they really like this person, but they're not happy. There must be something wrong. And then um, kind of, like, imploding relationship after relationship because of this unrealistic expectation. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. Um, and of course, there's the uh, whole but can men and women be friends thing that straight people like to bring up a lot. Um, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, they can. Even straight ones. Because, <laughs> um, like, there's this idea that even the possibility of romantic and or sexual relationships can overshadow any possibility of a platonic, of a platonic relationship. Like, that doesn't sound like a good way to lead to a healthy society. <laughs> no, or have a happy life. 
Yeah. So, I feel like this is a topic that we will definitely talk about more in the future. Mm-hmm. At length. But, for now, let us move on to something relatively more current eventy. It's Jughead! Yay! Jughead Jones. Jughead. Or, or what's his uh, official name, Forsyth? Oh, I have no idea. Forsyth Jones Third or something, I wow. think. He was named after like a, a great uncle who was in the Civil War. And I spent a lot of time reading Archie Comics when I was a kid. Wow, um, cool. Yep. So, this is in regard to Riverdale, the new hit TV show coming to the CW tomorrow night, January 26th. Oh, Mm -hmm. is this tomorrow night? Yeah, it's tomorrow. Yeah. That's surreal. I know, I know. So, the quote we want to talk about is from Mr. Cole Sprouse, and I love Cole Sprouse. I think he's a very good egg. Here's what he says regarding Jughead's sexuality. Oh, sorry. Going back um, for context, in the comic book, Jughead has has been identified as asexual for I think it's about it's been about a year. Does that it's, sound right? Um, in the they did sort of a relaunch-ish type thing with Archie Comics, where um, uh, I think they're still reprinting the the old digest that they've still, that they've been doing forever, but they um, are doing a more teen targeting one with ongoing storylines mm-hmm. in the individual comics um, with each of the different series and in the Jughead series um, in a casual conversation between Jughead and his friend Kevin, it's mentioned that Jughead is indeed asexual and it's implied that he is also a romantic um, and that is now a canon thing in Archie Comics in um, the current series. I never. Um, sorry, go ahead. Oh, um, and yeah, it's, it's come up since then in some storylines. It's been central, um, but yeah, it has been about. It's been several months. It was last year. I want to say that the. Archie Comics were relaunched. Mm-hmm. And yeah, currently it is being written by Ryan North. Oh, um, awesome. I love him. Yeah, yeah. So he's the current writer of it. Um, there's been some criticism of his uh, treatment of it as a, uh, in a recent story arc, but I've been reading Jughead in trade, so I don't really, I can't really comment much on it, um, other than Jughead and Sabrina go on a date because Sabrina misinterprets the situation, mm-hmm. okay. and it gets awkward. You know, so growing up, I never thought to myself, gee, when I'm an adult, I'm going to be talking about Jughead and how we have the same sexual identity. Like, that is bizarre. Like, for me, growing up, Jughead was always the one with two girl, with, like, a girl on either arm, you know? Jughead? 
Yeah. Wasn't that... Wasn't he the dude? Jessica Jones? Wasn't he the one? He's the one who was eating burgers all the time, wearing a crown and being like, whatever, Archie man, you got, you know, you keep your girl problems over Really? I... Okay, I have it completely wrong. He was... Are you thinking of Reggie? Maybe. The kind of, like, arrogant one? Was he the... Did he... dating Veronica whenever Archie isn't? Ooh, yeah. Did, did he have, like, the Letterman sweater? Yes. Okay, yeah. So this is this is such an eye-opening look into my comics knowledge. But, yeah, that's him. It's, it's like you didn't work at a comic shop or something. <laughs> right? God. So, Jeez. I know. So, um, should we talk about what Cole Sprouse has said about Jughead and representation? Yes. All right. This came after the, um, I believe there were some articles about how Riverdale wasn't going to have Jughead be asexual, but um, it looks like really it's just not going to go into it in its first in the first season about Jughead sexuality at all. But mm-hmm. um, so, uh, is, cool. so let's let's read the direct quote from Cole Sprouse. And again, I, I, Cole Sprouse, he's a boy I trust. He's just, he's so sweet. It's just, I can't, you know, I can't get mad at him. So he says, because of the fluidity of sexuality and how oftentimes a person discovers who they are after a series of events, like those told, told in our origin stories, this is an ongoing conversation, end quote. The yeah, show. <laughs> Go ahead. I was going to say, so, show. what do you think about that? Um, that's, you know, that's, that's a good quote. Um, he, um, apparently when he got the role, he did a bunch of research on asexuality, as good eggs will do. Um, and so, and... Yeah, so that quote is from uh, an interview he did with Teen Vogue, everyone's new favorite magazine um, and news source in general. But, yeah, so he was saying that in the context of how season one of Riverdale won't explicitly talk about Jughead's asexuality, but uh, he hopes that first season will start more as like an origin story and then after and then lay the groundwork and then they'll be able to talk about it in later seasons um so like i don't know like the idea of you know sexuality being fluid and people discovering more about themselves as their life continues on and that's that rings very true for me. Like, Nick, you said you only started identifying as asexual two years ago. Um, I only started even thinking that I was someone on the spectrum um, six years ago when I was 21. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, so that's a really great, it's, it's really great that he's thinking about it that way. And I hope that writers of Riverdale will, you know, 
live up to his expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I'm, I feel like I remember I saw a few articles saying that Jughead won't be asexual. And the more I'm learning about the show, the more I'm starting to think, well, maybe that was just clickbait. Because all the writers that I know who are associated with Riverdale, you know, sound like they're either they're queer themselves or they're all about queer representation. So for now, I have slight I have I have pretty good faith in this show. I'm going to I'm going to be excited to see where it goes. Still, even within queer communities, um, asexuality isn't necessarily as well understood as you would like. Mm hmm. Um, like again with the Jughead comic, I know when, um, so the first arc of it was written by Chip Starsky and drawn by Erica Henderson, both of whom are fabulous and everyone should go and read Squirrel Girl, also drawn by Erica Henderson and written by Ryan North, who's the current writer of Jughead. No, I do not know too much about comics. What are you talking about? Um... Like, Kevin makes a comment to Jughead about how, you know, he doesn't understand this particular, you know, romantic situation of, like, Kevin's uh, kind of upset because um, one of the few gay guys in school is suspended for a time. He's just like, man, there's, you know, that really, you know brings down my romantic options. Okay, you don't understand because you're asexual. Um, so that's when it first brought up and that's what moved the internet. Um, but, you know, that was awesome and Chip Starsky really seems like someone who cares about representation, but that was still conflating asexuality with being aromantic and asexual. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have like little misunderstandings like that going on or like the, um, like again it was still huge progress but there's still not very much understanding of what you know asexuality is what aromanticism is what the difference between them is um I was going somewhere with this. Oh, yes. So there could still be, you know, kind of that sort of disconnect. But hopefully there won't be. Mm-hmm. Because right. Because asexuality is becoming more visible every year. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see that. Yep. I mean, does I, Ellie agree? She does. She was scratching at my door trying to get back from Jakku, but she's just going to have to stay there for her own good, maybe do some scavenging for a while. Be a good little space dog. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, Uncle Plot, Plot was vacuuming downstairs on Jakku, and she handled it very honorably. So, what can you do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, 
I'd like to take a minute to thank Show for being such an awesome co-host and for welcoming me onto the show. And I'm having a ton of fun. All good. I'm, again, really glad that you were able to come and host with me. Um, you know, me and Saf both thought, like, we honestly, we both talked about how we'd like you to be the, the new co-host. Oh, my gosh. So, Happy. So it's awesome that you're able to come and be the new co-host. Well, thank you. And thanks to all the listeners with their patience as I, you know, again, try to figure out, you know, where exactly I am on the spectrum and how, you know, what part of my career identity is ace and all that. It's all stuff that I'm still figuring out too. So if well, I'm I, super not alone with that. Yeah. So yay. A fun journey. Fun, fun, fun. Okay, well, think that wraps up the episode? I think so. Okay, in that case, the intro music is Goodbye Moon by the esteemed Marion Call, and the outro music is Stars by the excellent Seth Boyer. Links to both their sites are available in the show notes, and you should check them out. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find me on Twitter at R-Y-O-R-I-N. And, and you can find Nick on Twitter as well. Yes, I'm Nicole Sia, and that is spelled N-I-C-O-L-E-C-I-E-U-X. Again, that's N-I-C-O-L-E-C-I-E-U-X. It's alpha, The vowels go alphabetic or alphabetical. So that's how I remember. Okay, so even you have difficulty remembering Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That makes, Are you kidding? That makes me feel a lot better. Mm-hmm. I usually just, like, type it Nick and let it fill in the rest of it. Yeah. Nicole, vowels, letter X. Yeah. So we're also AcePacePod on Twitter, and you can email us AcePace at TashiStation.net. Yeah. And, again, uh, you can find us on Tashi-Station.net. And also in the iTunes store and on play. Um, yeah, and we will link to various things in the show notes on poppy-station.net. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ellie the Space Dog. Yep, she is almost back from Jakku. She had a very successful mission and she's breaking awesome. the door down. So we're all very proud of her. So. Watch Riverdale! Yay! Peace out! Night!